Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Elsie Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. National Coming Out Day is one of those occasions that's sort of easy to skip over, especially for those of us who live in large urban hubs where folks running for mayor fight over our endorsements. And that's okay, you know, it's only human nature to want to take a deep breath after holding for so long at school or at work, at home. But sometimes those long, deep breaths can lead to a slumber, and that's just not something I think we can afford. If the most recent attacks on long-standing legislation regarding reproductive rights and voting are any indication, it would not be long before more attention returns to marriage equality or trans youth. So while National Coming Out Day doesn't have the same sort of media and corporate focus as Pride Month, what it represents is the water from which this movement sips. Without coming out, there's no visibility. Without visibility, there's no power. Without power, there's no hope. And we all know what Harvey Milk said about hope. Without hope, the essence give up. I know that you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. I was reminded of the power of coming out while watching season two of the Emmy-nominated reality TV show, We're Here. Guess who's back? For those who don't know the HBO show, we're Here follows three former contestants from RuPaul's Drag Race as they travel through small town USA putting on one night only drag shows. Hello? Oh yeah girl, we're here! They also spend time with the queers in these towns along with their family and friends who all beautifully share their experiences, the joy and the pain. I would hope that you feel so equipped with love for yourself that you can say to your mother, I'm just telling you how much I love me and what this means to me. It's one of the most powerful pieces of television I've seen in a very long time. And listen, I watch a lot of television. The hosts, Bob the Drag Queen, Eureka, and Shangler, they're all absolutely brilliant as mentors, performers, and most importantly, beacons of hope. Whether it's the season's premiere episode with Olin and Spartanburg or Joseph and Selma, you'd be hard-pressed not to feel some of the hope that they share. That's why I'm so excited for you to hear the conversation I had with DJ Pierce, better known as Shangela, for this special National Coming Out Day episode of Life Out Loud. Not only is We're Here premiering on the same day, but Shangela reminds me of the power that we all tap into when we find the strength to come out. The freedom to live, to love, to just do you, boo. And let me tell you, Shangela brought the energy and has so many amazing stories. Like what it was like working with Lady Gaga, performing as Beyonce for Beyonce, and life as the personal assistant for Jennifer Lewis, the mother of Black Hollywood. I swear, from Whitney Houston to Anthony Anderson right now on Blackish, 
If the main character on screen had a black mama, chances are that mama was Jennifer Lewis. But we start off by talking about Jodeci, Janene from Martin, and the singer that she got to meet for the first time in Chicago, Maya. Not only was I performing and so excited to see everyone show up, Maya performed on Saturday night, and I love Maya. You know case of the ex Maya? Wait, seriously? That Maya? It was so awesome. I got to tell her backstage that I never met her before in person. Oh and you know, I'm a drag entertainer, so I'm a showgirl. I love to look at it like, did you put on a show? Did you twirl? Did you turn it? Right. And not only did she sound beautifully, but she also performed so amazingly. She got out there and gave about a 45-minute set, child. And it was wow. wonderful. All the, I forgot about some of the songs, like, Fallen, in love with you, I'm falling. All that ghetto superstar, case of the she did. I was just going to ask, did she do the hook from Ghetto Superstar? Baby, she did it. She did. She, I think she might have done the rap, too. She did. <laughs> she did Lady Marmalade. She did so much. And then she gave us extras. She did Week by SWV. Oh, see, you know what? Now, see, now she messing. Yeah, because she made me feel like I was back on the school bus back in the day when if you could sing... <laughs> Baby, you were either going to hit that, uh, if you were boys, you're going to hit that H-Town. Right, right. Or that Jodeci, and if you, and, or that Boys to Men. And if you were a girl, you was about to hit that week, okay? Oh, listen. Every single time I hear Jodeci, I look at my man and go, soon you're having my baby. And he's just like, I'm going to need you to stop. <laughs> what about when, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when Martin was Shanene, uh -huh. and Shanene, they had Kid from Kid and Play as a guest on Martin, and Shanene was in love with Kid, so she won a date with Kid. Uh, uh, my name is Kid. I'm looking for a Shanene Jenkins. Oh my God, I'm Shanene Jenkins. I know what you looking for. So Kid is at Shanene's apartment, and she puts that song on, and she looked at him, she's like, forever Shanene. <laughs> I used to perform that for my mom oh, all man. the time. And one of my first Halloween costumes, I don't even know if anybody remembers this except my mom. There was a, a costume party in Paris, Texas when I was in the sixth grade. And I went, I wanted to go so bad as Shanene Jenkins. And everyone thought it was a horrible <laughs> idea. Mom said, are you sure you want to go to these little white kids party dressed as Shanene? She got black yarn, made me a black wig for Shanene. And I went, I was like, oh my goodness. Nobody knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs> See, Shanene is black famous. Thank you. Shanene was totally black famous in the sixth, back when I was in the sixth grade. But baby, they got Shanene that night. They surely did. <laughs> <laughs> this is so awesome to talk to you. You are so wonderful. You're so much better in person. Even though we're not really in person, I guess virtual person. Virtual person works for me. Virtual person works for me <laughs> as well. We just dove right in, but I'm just not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. We, I was going to be all proper and stuff, but since you want to start off like this, Shangela, we're just going to keep it rolling. Oh, baby, keep it real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know you already know your power, but I just want the listeners to understand just how important you and drag is. There was something that you said in the very first episode of season two, and you were talking with Olin. Yes. And Olin was talking about how everyone knew that his brother was gay and he was the last to find out. I got extremely mixed feelings. Yes. I've had some friends of mine at work 
who, when they found out, is absolutely not accepted. Look, I believe in the amount of love and respect and admiration that you have for your brother. For you to take a walk in his shoes, literally take a walk in his heels, mm -hmm. and just say, hey, I'm gonna get in drag so I can fully identify what you go through. That's gonna be a huge moment. And you were so loving and so supportive and so wonderfully intuitive in terms of how to get him to be comfortable exploring this part of himself that I just started bawling watching this episode. And I was like going, Shangela is so powerful. Because not only is she addressing the homophobia within heterosexual people, but she went straight to my internalized homophobia and just says, let's turn the lights on and see what this is. Ooh, you got cobwebs in here. Let's clean this out. Let's clean this all out. Just so powerful and so wonderful. So I thank you for just doing that for me and for all the other queer people, particularly queer people of color, who might still be carrying around a little bit of homophobia, internalized homophobia, and aren't cognizant of it. But you come in their closet, and you turn on the light, and you clear all the cobwebs with your beauty and your grace and your warmth. And I just thank you for that. I thank you for that gift. Oh, wow. Well, Elsie, I got to tell you, thank you so much. And all I can do is just, and I think Bob and Eureka and I all know this about this particular experience in this show. You know, we're not licensed therapists in any way. We're not trained professionals in any particular way about connecting with people, but we are real people who have lived real experiences and real life and real gay life at that. And so that's what we walk into each of these cities and each of these moments with is the truth about who we are and what we bring to the table and then hope that people feel comfortable being vulnerable and open and honest with us and sharing their story and walking through this journey together. And with Olin specifically, oh, I love, I love my Olin. I'm gonna tell you. I mean, listen. <laughs> <laughs> at the first season, uh, when we first went to Spartanburg in season one, episode six, and then COVID hit and we had to stop filming. And I remember being so disappointed because I was like this, I know there is something here, mm. this story about allyship and standing up for uh, your sibling in this way. There's something that needs to be told and shared here. And also I knew that in my first meeting with the family, I was like, and there are things to unpack here. I was I remember sitting at that dinner table. You'll see that scene in the first in the first episode of season two. Mm -hmm. yep. And I'm I'm sitting at the dinner table with them and I'm they're also wonderful and lovely. And it reminded me so much of my family because we're also Southern, right? This is Southern now, this is Spartanburg. But there was this air of, there are certain things that we don't talk about. I could see when I would say the word gay or say like, yeah, because I saw, you know, Pat does shows that are his drag shows. That are, and we were sitting there at the table with um, their father, mm -hmm. okay? Also, Olin's kids were there and his wife was there and Pat was there. And me just talking about drag and gay, it was like, ooh, she's going there. She's going there, you know? <laughs> yes, she did. You know, and, and I think the most uncomfortable person was not Olin, my drag daughter, in me talking about all of this, but it was Pat, the brother, hmm. because he'd spent so much of his time and life, he was fabulous in being patio furniture. She'd been there for 20 years. She'd been performing in drag and being an amazing entertainer. But it was that life outside of the four walls of the family house, not inside, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what so many of us go through in our lives, whether it's to ourselves, 
you know, where we lock ourselves up and how much am I going to share? How much do I feel comfortable with? Or it's what other, what we've learned, a learned behavior because of the people that we're around. How much am I going to be able to share to still feel comfortable in this space and make everyone else around me still comfortable with me and who I am, you know? It's so much calculus, isn't it? Ooh, and I've never been that good at math. But honey, <laughs> you will work out a problem, won't you? <laughs> I mean, you, we do. We walk out the door. Like, I've been out more than 20 years. I've been out my entire professional life. And you would think, after two decades of being out and proud, that I would be doing less math. But honey, can I tell you, it feels as if I'm sitting right up there in 12th grade doing trigonometry all over again because I go, okay, so she says these flowers are for her. Do I feel like telling her, no, it's for my man? Do I just let her just go on with her thoughts? Like, how much effort do I feel like putting forth with this today? And it's like, even after 20 years, I'm still finding myself doing that calculus, that trigonometry you're talking about, about coming out. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I'm originally from Detroit, but my folks... Both my parents are originally from the South, like South, South, like small town, Mississippi. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to say with that, um, and knowing this about your evangelical background as well, because I was also raised in the church, honey. We was there on Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday twice. Come on okay? now. Did you, did you have the skeddy dinner in the basement? Baby, we didn't even have no basement. Here, no, not St. John. Oh, no. We had a back room. <laughs> That, will, that, oh. that used to be the Sunday school room that if you move some tables around, it could have people walk through and collect plates if, if we wanted to do that. <laughs> but knowing that, you know, just hearing that about you and, and knowing that we both kind of, you build up this, um, it's almost a guard. You're on guard a lot of times and you are calculating because you you gauge and so many people from our show also do this. This is. And this is why so many people, I think, uh, can identify with we're here, no matter what walk of life you're from. Because you gauge how much you want to deal with the repercussions of each moment that you choose to create, okay? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're not even a choice to create, sometimes it's just innate, but you kind of map yourself about how, how much am I gonna give today, to how much do I wanna deal with what could happen, okay? So you know if you go into a space and you behave a certain way. Let's say you tell that lady, these are from my man. Okay, here comes the barrage of questions. I didn't know you were gay. Mm -hmm. When did you come out? Who is this man? Is she gonna change the way that she treats me from here on out based on this? And this is when we are playing into trying to choose or trying to navigate how we're accepted and loved. Absolutely. But when we get to a space where we don't I hate to say don't care as much, but don't put as much weight in other people's reactions and, and, and how they're going to act. When we just put it on ourselves, we, there's a greater place of freedom there where it becomes less math. And you let them do the math. Let them do it. If they have a difficulty with it, they have questions, maybe I'm gonna let you do that. And I'm gonna gauge how much I wanna go into it with you and how much I'm gonna let you sit over there and just deal with it for yourself about how much it's gonna weigh on you and our relationship together. Cause I'm tired of doing the math. It ain't gonna be me no more. It's gonna have to be you. When did you decide to put down the chalk and the eraser and give it to the other person? And you just sat there and just let them work out their own math. How did you arrive to that point? I can't be, you know, untruthful in this and say that I still don't do the math at times, even being Shangela mm -hmm. and walking in so much truth and confidence in my life. Um, so every day is a choice. 
every moment is a choice, but I'm choosing much less than I used to. Hmm. And let me tell you how I got to that place. That is from working on myself and the amount that I love myself so much and value the way that God has created me and who I am in this moment that I say, I, I don't want to um, take that away from other people. I don't want to deprive them of loving me or accepting me the way that I love and accept myself. So I'm just going to go forth as me. Today I'm going forth as me and, I'm, and I love me. So why would I hide me? Why would I choose to not share me? I value me. I think that I'm, I'm a great person and I want to give love into this world. And if I don't honor who I am, then I can't expect anyone else to do that either. Mm. So that's what's allowed me to kind of walk forward with my head held high. And it's not just me. I, you know, I work on myself, but I've also had great mentors in my life, um, like Jennifer Lewis, who's a great friend of mine, who really taught me about uh, working to get to a, a beautiful place of love. And but also uh, friends, family, teachers in my school, people along my entire journey, family, my mom, so many people along my journey that have showed me that who I am matters. And then I got, I had to work on it for myself as well and, and fight all the things that I grew up with about, you know, homosexuality is a sin and you shouldn't think in this way or, or live in this way or, you know, who you are doesn't matter. I had to change that way of thinking. So it didn't automatically click off. It still, it still comes up here and there about how much I'm going to showcase and love myself. But I, my goal is to always choose love for me. You know, I'm so glad you said all of that, but especially the part about it's a work in progress. You know, I think sometimes as openly queer people in the public eye, we present something that looks as if we've arrived. When in reality, we're all still on the journey. There is no true destination in this conversation as far as I'm concerned. And it sounds as if you believe the same thing. It's an ongoing journey, not necessarily you get somewhere and it's all over. Right, oh, I agree with you because Honey, every day, <laughs> and we make it sometimes look a lot easier than it is. And that's why I try to be as, you know, open and upfront and honest, because there are great moments. There are great moments. And I've been so grateful to have beautiful, great moments, you know, performing Beyonce for Beyonce, having a show like we're here on HBO Max and, and going to RuPaul's Drag Race and being able to travel the entire world. And, and, you know, she's on a plane every other day when I grew up in Paris, Texas, where we didn't even have an airport. And I used to watch planes fly around head like one day I'm gonna get on one of those you know <laughs> so there are those moments but there's also the work that goes behind it and not just the actual work of getting prepared for all of these moments but also the work in not letting yourself you know get beaten down by uh, this desire to keep up with everyone on Instagram or to always present a life that has no trouble you know and, and no low points in it and you know, show, showcasing that you're a real person. That's what I try to do, I'm a real person. And uh, and in this show as well, you get to see that so much. You see moments where Bob, Rika and I are just bawling and crying. You know, it's not the prettiest thing. It, ooh, me crying and drag is not pretty, honey. Ooh, it is not pretty, no ma'am. It's not your best look. 
<laughs> I, I hate seeing myself cry. I think I'm one of the ugliest <laughs> criers ever. But you know, oh no, it's real. Oh no, I really, I chew up the bottom of my face, child. Trying not to. Oh, I, I even in the trailer I saw this morning. I said, "Ooh, look at Miss Shannon, honey, just boohoo fish." But, I, <laughs> but it's real. It's real. And what you're saying is exactly right in that people think that when we are a cert, have a certain level of uh, notoriety, fame, whatever, that it, you made it. That's it. Look at her. She did it. But we're all people just trying to exist in this world. And if anything has taught us that, I think it's been this last year where we've had a worldwide pandemic that stopped the clock and forced all of us to uh, live in a space where there's something greater than us in this world that puts us all on a level playing field in this way. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you know, you're known or how many followers or any of that. You just gotta live life and take care of yourself and try to take care of others as much as you can. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, you have this incredible moment uh, in season two during the Selma episode where you and Joseph are talking about the time. And I don't want to blow it off for everyone, but there was a time in which he was in danger. Mm -hmm. And you instinctively knew in this conversation to just get up and give him that affirming hug that we all wanted to give him in that moment. And I'm just curious as to where do you find that heart? How, did you did you always have it? Because there's a lot of people who refer to themselves as mother in that moment, and you weren't even in drag then, but in that moment, I was like, there's mother. Yeah. Well, I gotta tell you, I, um, and in that moment, you know, with Joseph in uh, in the Selma episode, which people will see. Oh, I, when I think about it, I I'd go back to that moment and sitting on that back porch with Joseph. He it wasn't unfamiliar in any way. His story, his experience, who he was and is as a person. I know Joseph, and I think in watching this show, so many people will go, "Oh, I know a Joseph." That's my homegirl. That's my friend. That's the thing down the street. That's mm-hmm. that's my good Judy. That's Joseph. He needed a hug. And how I knew that was because I needed a hug. And there have been so many times in my life that I've needed that hug where sometimes I got it and sometimes I didn't. 
I know what it feels like to have someone be there for you and embrace you. And I know what it feels like to need an embrace. So I think that in that moment, I, I'm grateful that I was intuitive because I am Joseph. And anybody watching this show, you may have been a Joseph in your life or you may be one one day. And it would be amazing that we could all get a hug. The, the strongest people in my life have always been women. You know, my grandmother, my mom, my aunts. And it's that kind of maternal instinct that kind of leads me. You know, being an only child, I always wanted love. Please love me, see me, you know, somebody. And um, we didn't even hug in my family for probably until I was maybe, I wanna say like 16. We were a loving family, but nobody physically hugged. And I don't know what that was from. You know, I haven't unpacked all that with my family to find out why we didn't do that. Why, why was it not a physically affectionate family in that way? But I remember going to school in third grade and I hugged all the teachers, everybody. They knew me. I had a nickname. I was Huggy. Here comes Huggy because I would hug all of my teachers. <laughs> and I think that was an innate longing for that type of embrace. And so later on in my life, when I grew up and knew that that was something important to me, I started uncomfortably forcing my family to hug. Like I just go up and hug people and hold on to them. And to the point where my grandma would be like, why are you holding, let me go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I just wanted to break down this barrier of physical embrace and I don't and I'm having this conversation with you right now and I'm realizing I probably haven't had this conversation with many if not anybody um and probably it's a conversation I should sit and have with my family it see if they even recognize you know guys we weren't really a huggy family why weren't we you know uh but now we are we embrace we hug We'll give a kiss on the cheek, you know? It's that kind of love, but it wasn't that way for a long time, and I really pushed it. And that's why in this show, I feel it's so important to share that kind of love. I love all my drag kids in this show, and I call them kids, but you know, they range in age, some older than me, some <laughs> younger all across the board. But in the queer life, a lot of times we are, we are looking for family. And if we don't get that embrace at home, sometimes we are longing for it. And I'm just grateful to be in the moment that I'm able to share that. You know, it's so powerful for the three of you to be so visible in general, but to see you walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in full drag was so remarkable to me. Mm -hmm. Had you done that before? I'd never been in Selma, Alabama in drag prior to this show ever. And having a moment that was so powerful because of the history that bleeds from Selma, you know, uh, it was moving. I mean, Bob, Eureka, and I all, all had this moving experience thinking, oh my God, y'all, here we are in full drag. Bob says this all the time, that we are our ancestors, the embodiment of our ancestors' wildest dreams. And that includes our queer ancestors and also people who lived through the moments of Selma, mm. people who have fought with regard to the civil rights movement for justice for black people, as well as for queer people, and who are still struggling to this day. But to see three drag queens, 
in full drag, in full daylight, boldly walking along a bridge that has such a traumatizing history to it, but also a history that did not give up. I remember speaking to the foot soldiers. You'll see this in the episode, and you saw this yourself. And, and, and hearing their, the people who survived those moments on the bridge and how they've been able to come through it. And even though it was a traumatizing moment, they're able to walk through the moment and not walk away from it. That's very inspiring and was very inspiring to me to say there is hope, and but we've got to work through these difficult moments, you know, that have held us back. And these people in the small towns that we work with, our job is to help them work through the moment. The reason they've come to our show, the reason they've ended up in this experience with us is because they want to work through the difficult moments of life. I, it never occurred to me that there were queer people in Selma until this episode. We forget, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, we, we, we do. And what's really crazy is, as I mentioned to you earlier, like my folks are from small town Mississippi. And I took my husband to a family reunion in small town Mississippi. And we drove because that's just what black folks do from the north. I don't know how y'all do it in Texas, but up north, we just drive to Mississippi. No airplanes, nothing. Y'all love to drive. Yes, Lord. Yes, you do. <laughs> Burn up and down I-75. <laughs> and he gets out of this van we rented to drive down there. And it's the first time I've brought, like, my significant other to, like, this big family reunion in small town Mississippi. And he gets out, and the first thing out of my auntie's mouth was, ooh, child, he's skinny. We're going to have to fatten him up. That's the first thing they said. <laughs> and it was her way of just saying, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't worry. I know this is big for you, but this is family, and we got you. And it was like the sweetest gesture I think she's ever done for me in my life by saying he was skinny. We got to fatten him up. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, as a small-town person yourself, what moment over these two seasons has touched you most about your presence just being in this environment? Because as I said, I hadn't thought about queer people in Selma. Was there a place that you arrived and you thought, huh, I didn't even know we were here? Wow. Uh, you know, we experienced that moment so much on this show because the places that we go to, the towns that we go to, are really sometimes obscure. Sometimes and you know of the name. I remember season one, we were going to Branson, and I'm like, oh, Branson, Missouri. My family's been here on vacation. I, what, what do you mean there ain't no gays in Branson, Missouri? This is a show entertainment town. But there were still, I didn't realize how unaccepting uh, that some spaces in that town could be. It was a jolting kind of reminder that even though it has a big name, well-known name, it can still feel very isolating for the gays in that town. And, you know, we go in this season, we go to towns like Watertown, South Dakota, uh, Selma, Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. Evansville, Indiana, and Spartanburg, and, and, and Temecula. And, and even growing up in my small town of Paris, Texas, when I was growing up, I was like, there's only like maybe three of us here, maybe three of us here. And in actuality, and what we find in these towns is that there can be a lot more a lot more people who are gay or who are supportive of the gays in these towns but there's just no 
watering hole. You know, there's no community space. There's no gay bar. There's no way for them to all to come together to show that visible representation and support. And that's why when we say we're here, we mean we're here not only to to put on a show and connect with people, but also to showcase that sometimes there's there are communities of support in the most unlikely places. They just haven't been given a chance to come together. And this show is about bringing people together. This center mm -hmm. needs more support from yeah. this community. Yeah, well, I mean. In any way that we can get any it. Any way we can get it. And I'll tell you, mm -hmm. I, I'm hoping part of us being here mm -hmm. is we want to help build that community. Like what you're doing with this center yeah. and bringing people together, we also want to do that. That's... And the best way we know to do that yeah. is with a show. Do we do a, a good enough job as a community making sure that light is shown on these small towns and the queers who, who need this sense of community? Obviously, in the large cities, you know, we have very visible bubbles and there's safety and community there. But do we forget about the small towns, do you feel? I think that we in larger towns a lot of times do forget about the small town experience. Um, it's when people think about where we are with regard to acceptance and inclusivity and gay rights, we think, okay, well, we're making it, you know, look, we've had so much progress in the last couple of decades, but that might not be the experience in every part of America. And I think that's what this show highlights is that that is not the experience for every gay in all the parts of America. So a lot of times we do forget about our small town brethren and sisterin. However, um, I, the small town people don't forget about themselves. Mm. And that's why it's so important for us to just remember that we exist everywhere, okay? The gays don't necessarily have to run to the big cities. A lot of times they don't want to. They're like, I love my town, but I just wish it was better. There was more representation. There was more visibility. I didn't feel so alone in my town. And we hope to come to these places and make people feel less alone. I would love to switch gears for a second because you 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 hinted at it earlier, but girl, you on tour, <laughs> and I don't mean just I don't mean just city to city. I mean like diva to diva. You've worked with Gaga in an Oscar-winning film. You performed Beyonce for Beyonce. I saw you lip sync Aretha. I've seen you quote Tina Turner. So Shangela, yes, I'm going to put you in trouble now. Oh, I love trouble. No, I don't. <laughs> Who is your favorite diva? Okay, now come on, you trying to play me. I, you know. I, I told you I was gonna put you in trouble. You know, <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you what's interesting, and thank you so much for saying that, you know, I love these moments that I've been able to, to experience. Cause you know, Beyonce was the first person that I ever lip synced to uh, on stage. I did Single Ladies, but it was my first drag performance. And to be able to honor oh, her awesome. with a performance, you know, at the GLAAD Awards last year, I was like, oh my, this is like huge, huge for me. Huge, 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 huge in 2019. And so, but before I became like a bigger name as Shangela, when I was first starting as Shangela, I also performed, I performed Nicki Minaj for Nicki Minaj back in the day, for Cher. What? Yeah, girl, I was Black Cher. I performed. Uh, <laughs> you, you were Blair? I was Blair. I, I remember they called me, they said, Cher is putting out a new song. Uh, this is a woman's work, a woman's world. And um, do you want to perform? She's going to be come to the club and, and we want people to perform. And I said, well, did y'all call Chad Michaels? 
And they said, yeah, you know, Chad Michaels does share. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, no, Chad is booked. We need one more. We want you. So I surely did put a a performance together of Half Breed and went up there and did it. Kept it close to home, didn't we? Oh, my God. I know she was like, who is this little black girl doing me up here? I I really, I've had a great, you know, I've been able to introduced and hosted the show with Madonna and met her. They're the divas, the J-Lo's. I was on Watch What Happens Live. I got to impersonate J-Lo and meet her backstage. I was just with Maya two nights ago. You know, these are amazing, amazing people that have impacted my career. Working with Lady Gaga has been a dream come true. And then being able to connect with her so many times, actually, like, wow. I look up to them all. I'm gonna say my number one, and this is not a rating thing, it's just who I'm closest with would be Jennifer Lewis. Mm. Jennifer Lewis to me represents the classic pull yourself up, work work the ladder, you know, work up the ladder kind of uh, creation of a diva. And if you go back into her career, because a lot of people know her from television, right? And Mm -hmm. I knew when I first got my introduction to her really was in watching the movie Jackie's Back. I remember my brother, who's like my brother, I don't have any real brothers and sisters, I'm the only child. But he was a senior when I was a freshman at college. And I think he saw like, okay, here's this little black gay boy, let me help him out the closet. So he was like, you need to watch this movie, Jackie's Back. I loved it, it was a mockumentary that Jennifer did. Listen, honey, uh, I don't wanna offend you, but do you think you could play a little more black? (laughs) Of course you can, darling, because you're absolutely fabulous and you're doing a wonderful job. I fell in love with it. I used to host Jackie Washington Day parties at my apartment every july 15th which is the day they celebrate in the movie when i met her backstage randomly in new york at a different show i fell in love with her and i knew every line to the movie so she thought i was absolutely crazy but she loved me already so she was like all right you can stick around for a little bit and i remember we just created this thing and i remember telling her i want to move out to la and anything you ever need she's like well i might be looking for a second assistant baby look me up and I moved out to LA literally in 2007 and called her. And she was like, I don't, she didn't remember me, obviously, you know. And then she was like, wait a minute, you were the crazy one that knew all the lines. I'm like, yes. So <laughs> she ended up, you know, inviting me around. I got to be her second assistant. I worked my way up to being her first assistant. Uh. And then after I went on Drag Race and, you know, after, Season three, she goes, all right, now you've become too famous to be my assistant, darling. But you can move into the basement if you want to. So I moved in because I was oh, traveling so much. It was hard to like be home in my own apartment. So I moved into Jen's house and lived there for like 10 years. Like totally have wait, been. Wait, wait, t- t- time the hell out. T- time oh, come on, LZ, I got the stories, baby. Oh. I got the stories. Hold up. Are you trying to tell me that the mother of black Hollywood was actually your mother? Is. Is that what you're telling me right now? Is. Present. Is. 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 My my bad. Is. I call her my L.A. mom because she really did raise me in the world of um, how to be a professional entertainer. And I don't mean like how to go to work and come home. I, I had that. It was how to navigate the highs and lows of the entertainment business. I remember coming home from... Uh, Drag Race season three. And she's like, what? You didn't win? Honey, we always win. Jen told me, you know, that we there are no losers in this house. And that's the mentality. She never like, you know, she made me work for everything. Like even to, she didn't, 
you know, take care of me in that way. Cause she worked her way up and she's like, baby, you're going to work it up. She never made like made any calls for me saying like, you must hire him or, or anything like that ever. She wanted me to work my way up the way she worked her way up. She goes, y'all don't know nothing, honey. You know, Jen, let her tell it. So y'all, uh-uh, honey, I know about promotion. Y'all can post a picture on Instagram, but I don't do that. <laughs> I used to walk through the village of New York with the gay boys, honey. I was high kicking. I rented a Cadillac once and screamed about my show, driving through the streets for hours. Mm. You know, she goes, I worked my way to build, you know, my audience, my people, but also every time I hit the stage, whether it's one of my one woman shows or whatever, I came to perform and entertain. And I remember working as her assistant and watching her put together her one woman shows. And when she said the phone wasn't ringing, the Hollywood phone wasn't ringing, she created her own opportunities. She would go to the Gay and Lesbian Center and she would do the whole show and she would donate all the money to the Gay and Lesbian Center, but she did it because she wanted to stay on stage and stay fresh because she knew another moment was coming mm. where they would be calling and she wanted to be ready and she was stretching and she was working out and she was eating the right things. And you know, I come from Texas, honey. I was Popeyes and fried chicken. And she's like, oh, honey, you can't do all that and still be an entertainer, do all the things you're gonna do. You gotta do it in moderation. She taught me so much. So when you ask me who my favorite diva is, it's Jennifer Lewis because she came from Kinlock, Missouri and worked her way up to being the mother of Black Hollywood. And there was never a crown put on her head either with regard to winning a contest of that way. Like I never won RuPaul's Drag Race, but I never didn't think I wasn't a queen, you know, and I never carried myself not thinking that I wasn't deserving of the moment. And I would have to honor the moment by showing up and doing what I knew I could do. And that's why I think I've been able to get to this moment in my life even, is because I didn't let the hard times hold me down, but also I knew that I had something that I wanted to share with people and I had to work to make it all happen. So where are you going next? And I don't mean- in, Where am I not? <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean city, I mean in terms of impact. You did Feed the Queens during COVID to help raise resources for the drag queens who couldn't perform because all our bars were closed. Absolutely tremendous. Um, you have a production company. Where are you going next? Well, I want to continue to create, whether that's creating art on television and in film or uh, live shows, um, just different ways to connect with people and hopefully give them a, a little piece of the inspiration that I, I've experienced in my life. So um, I love working in TV and film. That's my passion, my biggest passion. And so we're here season two. We're hoping to make sure as many people can experience this show as possible. Uh, and I'm so excited to not only be a co-host on that show, but also um, we've gone from being consulting producers to I'm now a producer on the show as well. So working both in front of and behind the scenes in order to make this pop off, really, that's one. Number two, I just finished filming a movie um, with Luke McFarlane and, and others, Molly Bernard and other people in Savannah, Georgia. It's called Lone Star Bull and it should come out next year. It's a gay action movie in which I play um, a fantastic uh, drag entertainer, both in and out of drag, who works with my friend to solve a crime. So yes. that's gonna be really fun. The Nancy Drew of drag, honey, Nancy Drew is coming back. And, and just, you know, continuing to connect with my fans all around the world. You know, we're still getting to a place where we're able to safely congregate, and not only in America, but 
in the world. And so many people aren't to the place where we are in the U.S. So I have to honor that, but know that hopefully we will get to a day when we're able to to tour and, and, and do all the big events around the world that we've been able to do. I'm so thankful I've been able to perform on six out of the seven continents. Mm. I got one more, that's Antarctica, so uh, get ready, because one day there will be a travel down there. <laughs> you better wrap up. Wrap it up. I better see some, some leggings and some furry boots or something. Baby, I've done Chicago in December. I can handle Antarctica, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this episode is airing on National Coming Out Day. We know it doesn't get as much publicity as Pride, but I find this date to be very, very important. And I'm just curious... You know, for all the listeners out there, if there was a singular National Coming Out Day message for them from Shangela, what would it be? This is a message that I want to give every day, but I think maybe it'll carry even more weight and power on National Coming Out Day. And it is for anyone who can hear me in this podcast and, and, and know, you know, of me, I always want to tell them, baby... Take time to get to know yourself so that you can love all the amazing parts of yourself that you may not even know that they're that they carry value and this love for yourself carries value, but it does. Take time to get to know yourself, to love yourself, and then don't be afraid to share all parts of yourself and your story because you never know how it might move and inspire others, but also the freedom that you can get from it for yourself because you deserve it. You deserve love, you deserve happiness, and you truly deserve to be free. DJ Pierce, Shangela, the finest from Texas. Thank you so much. I don't want Beyonce to be bad because she's from Texas too. I was about to say, ooh, you going among the finest from Texas. How's that? (laughs) Thank you. You know, I pay homage, respect, and bow down to the diva, honey, Queen B. But I am so proud to be from Texas. I got to tell you, you know, our state has its challenges, um, but (laughs) everywhere. And what we find also, and we're here, is that there are beautiful people that exist everywhere. There are beautiful. Uh, pockets and spaces of love everywhere. And I am so proud to be from Texas and to be able to share wh- how all the things that have made me me today with other people. And and especially even this moment with you. So LZ, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And remember to hit subscribe if you haven't already. And please, please, please tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, your side pieces, your main pieces, anyone who you think could benefit from listening to these incredible stories from these remarkable people. We're already working on season two, but we want to be able to keep going season three, four, five, as many as possible because we know there are so many stories out there that need to be heard. And also, just take a moment to leave us a rating and review. That goes a long way to helping us get the word out. And more importantly, keep going. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio, produced by my boy, Trevor Hastings. Our senior producers are Brenda Salinas Baker, Lakia Brown, Tony Morrison, and Robert Cepeda. What up, dudes? And our associate producer is David Toledo. The executive producer of Life Out Loud is the queen herself, Liz Alessi. And a big shout out to Joe Moore, Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, and Stacia Dashisku. I'm LZ Granderson. Man, that was a lot of fun.